Welcome to Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter and tell me all my takes are garbage at Braden Gall. Uh, my name is Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan. Um, I am a bright, beaming light of hope for many. No one thinks I'm garbage. Um, unless wow. you follow me on Instagram, which is Aaron underscore Dugan um, on so Instagram. You, wait, so you save all the garbage for Instagram? Is that what I'm hearing? No, I'm just I'm just kind of messing around. I mean, I don't do anything on Twitter, so I can't mess up. That's true. And you know, I think all so. the guys, that, men and men and women out there, go check out her Instagram feed, and you tell me how cool. How hip and trendy it is! All the, Trash all the, all, all bottom the feeder. <laughs> all the influencing that's happening on that feed over there. Uh, at I hate you. <laughs> um, all right, so fun stuff on the show today because Texas and Oklahoma big news late last week that they are going to be entering the SEC officially for one hundred million dollars, a cool one hundred million dollars. They are going to enter the SEC in twenty twenty four officially. So we're going to have like a whole new entire existence. Like in all of college football, not just in the SEC in 2024, for a Did lot I of reasons. Did I not say there was a math problem last week to do because yeah. it was, you know, it was Godfrey that was like, it's too expensive. Did he we, say that? Or did you we, say, someone you, said that. You, and you I was and like, I, well, it might be more. They might make more money on TV. <laughs> and here you, we are. You and I, I think for two and a half years now have basically said this is going to happen earlier than you think. Mm-hmm. because everything just needs to fall. USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten in 2024. Playoff expansions happening in 2024. The SEC needs to be the SEC in 2024. And they settled on a $100 million exit fee. So we'll get to... But, but there's there's two big conversations with this, Aaron, now that it's sort of official. And we've talked about it a little bit in the past. But one of them is a message directly to the conference office. I think people should lose their jobs if they don't do what we're going to talk about in a minute. So we've got that coming up. And then also just like, hey, let's have some fun and think about and imagine what college... Like, there's so much drama in college football. There's so much anxiety on social media everywhere in our lives. Like, how about we just take a minute, Aaron, today and just discuss some of the really cool, awesome shit that's going to happen in the new version of the SEC. So that's I what like we're going to do. I like that plan. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to do that. Uh, Dave Matter from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, a Missouri State of the Union. I think Missouri is one of the most interesting teams in the conference this offseason. Fascinating. 500, 500, 500 <laughs> for, for Eli Drinkwitz. Never had a winning season, never had a losing season in the regular season. Entering year number four, more production mm-hmm. than maybe any time that that school's ever had. I just find we don't talk a lot about, not necessarily this show, but like the media writ large doesn't talk a lot about Missouri. I think they're a very interesting team. So we got a Missouri State of the Union coming up for folks today on the show. How about that? Love it. Here we go. All right. Two two for two. My co-host likes the topics. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting along. It's fine. Uh, so Dave Matter going to join us a little bit later on. Uh, again, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, one of the best in the business covering the Mizzou Tigers. Where exactly is the fan base with Eli Drinkowitz? Is he under pressure? What is that team going to look like in 2023? Uh, so we'll be doing that for almost every team in the SEC like we do. Uh, and uh, we'll start with the Mizzou Tigers coming up a little bit later on. Uh, the news, though, however, broke Tuesday morning that Todd Munkin is leaving to become the Baltimore uh, the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator, coordinate Lamar Jackson, of course. He has been the architect of the Georgia Bulldogs uh, offense the last three seasons. I, I, don't, I, I don't know if there's been a more influential def- offensive or defensive coordinator in college football the last three years to take a walk-on quarterback and turn him into a two-time national champion to evolve the Georgia offense the way Georgia fans wanted. I don't know if there's anybody in college football that's been more important as a coordinator than Todd Munkin. And now he gone. I wonder what the, so the averaged barely over 500 yards a game and almost 41 points a game last season. I wonder where that exactly stacks. Obviously we know that's way, way up there, but I, I need to, I meant to look up the fall off of, you know, where is that fall off between those very, very top tier offensive coordinators and what they're able to do offensively and then where the rest of it kind of starts? You know what a tryout, like the person that doesn't make it, it's the biggest <laughs> after the biggest gap in the scores. But I meant to look that up. I have no do you know anything what, about what, that? What uh what number would you like? Would you like yards per play? Would you like points per game? What would you what would you like? Would you like let's do would you like a I'm a I'm a big official. Let's do total guy. offense. Oh, you total said yards offense. per play? We could do oh, that. Total offense, yards per play. 
Ohio State number one, Tennessee was number two, um, USC was number three, Georgia was number four, UCLA was number five, and those were the only five teams over seven yards per play in 2022. When does it? How far does it drop? Well, because it's such a small, like yeah, no, that's why I was going to say total yardage because they'll give us more of a gap. It's it's because of the numbers get. I mean, I tell I tell you what, it does drop down pretty quickly to like six and a half yards per play. Uh, like Ole Miss, let's say Ole Miss. Ole Miss was 24th in the nation at 6.44 yards per play. That's almost a full yard behind Ohio State at number one. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking percentages, I'm not I'm not a big quantum physics guy, but I think that's about 16%, uh, right? 17% if you're talking seventh, right. sevenths, right? Seven point mm-hmm. yards per play, give or take. Um, so there there is probably a big gap, I would say, between the top five to ten. And then it kind of quickly, you lose like a full yard down to like even just Oklahoma at number 30 in the nation at 6.24 yards per play. That's a full yard less than Ohio State. Um, the very last team, just for just for funsies, um, the worst offense in all of college football was not Iowa. It was New Mexico at 3.94 yards per play. So Yeet. That, that's sort of your, your seven and a half to basically four is your range. Um, and, and here to back this up because all, almost all in the same, like breath, Mike Bobo has been named the offensive court. They didn't have a search. He was already on the staff. Um, and he, he has, there is, I am so utterly fascinated by how Georgia fans are reacting to this because there was a lot of Georgia people that were very, very happy that he left after 2014 Mm -hmm. and now he's back. However, I think there is a misconception about Mike Bobo's offenses at Georgia because the last three that he coached at Georgia were ranked seventh in the nation in yards per play, the exact same metric we just talked about, right? Yep. Todd Munkin, number number four in the nation last year. They were seventh in the nation in yards per play, first in the SEC in 2014, his last year coordinating. They were 13th in the nation in yards per play, fifth in the SEC in, in 2013. And then they were number one in the nation, number one in the nation in 2012, the year that they that Aaron Murray's pass, you know, the the receiver falls down on the five yard line and they lose to Bama. Bama wins the national title against Notre Dame. Georgia probably would have won the national championship that year if they just get five more yards. Right. Um, Number one in the nation in yards per play. The last six offenses that Mike Bobo ran for Georgia, all of them were top five in the SEC. And all but one was like a top 25 offense nationally. So I, I think I think there's some revisionist history happening with Georgia fans and how they felt about Mike Bobo at the time of his departure in 2014. Yeah, well, it, it's just if you can't trust Kirby Smart by now, I mean, is it an exciting? Uh, it's definitely not exciting and new. Um, but they, we also talked about this last week that they're starting to have a system that is, it's it becomes such a science. That yes, like genius offensive defensive coordinators are always going to make a difference. But when you have such a good thing going, not only do players kind of get to fall into the system and be the best possible version of themselves because it works so well, I would venture to say there's something similar with coaches in the sense that we love, you know, we love all the skill set that you have and the new ideas that you have. Maybe we'll incorporate them, but this is already working. So maybe there isn't much as much of a need for just insane innovation or those, you know, really flashy hires. Georgia's got it figured out. If you can't trust Kirby Smart by now, you're never going to. And, and there's a couple of different trends that I think are interesting to note in offense in general. I think if I were to ask you, Aaron, like, do you think teams are running more plays today per game or were they running more plays per game in 2012, 13, and 14? Well, oh. just in what just in general, if you were to guess. I would say they're like our offenses. Are there more offenses running more plays today? So more tempo, more speed, more pace. Yeah, I'd say so. I I would have absolutely said that. I went back and looked. Is it wrong? In in 2014, because I think that's that's a that's a conception I think that we have or a misconception that we have of the sport is that. It's just like Nick Saban in 2012. Each, you know, he had this big mauling defense and, you know, the, the, they, they had to evolve and they got Lane Kiffin and they started running the up tempo spread and, 
you know, there was that whole fight with Saban and Bielema versus like the rest of the spread offenses trying to change the rules. And remember, that was a threat from Saban, not not like a, a complaint. And actually, in 2014, when Mike Bobo was the coordinator at Georgia, there were 21 teams that ran a thousand plays. That was the first year of the playoffs. Only like two teams had 15 games. So uh, 21 teams ran a thousand plays that year. You know how many ran a thousand plays in 2021, just two years ago? How many? 10, half as many. Really? Half as many. And there's been, there's way more games this past year in 2022. There were 15 teams that run a thousand plays. So can I, do you think that has anything to do with how much the ball was being run and people not getting out of bounds and the clock continued? to? No, no, I don't. What do you mean? Like, like, well, because you know, that this flashier, like pass heavy offense, oftentimes, you know, and then as opposed to like what we think about old school, Georgia, just run, right. run the ball, stay in bounds. Do you think there's less time to run plays period? Here's the here. Well, no, I think I, I here's the other thing. I, I don't I don't think so. I think it's okay. I, I think the conception is, is that the game is faster. It's all about throwing the football. And that's why Georgia needed to evolve its offense. And Todd Munkin did that. And they won two titles. I think that's a pretty linear line. Like that's pretty linear to me. And I think mm -hmm. it makes some sense. I think there's a lot of validity and truth to it because I agree with you. I don't think Mike Bobo as a hire is all that innovative or creative on Kirby Smart's part. It, it feels like a very much like, oh, he's my boy. He's in the back room. I got you. Like he, he's going to come back and be the be the coordinator. Um, what I think is interesting is that the same. No here's here's the other the other stat. The thing that has not changed in college football over 15 years, and I've done the data on this. It's about the same every year, about the same number of teams throws the ball at least 500 times in a season. Right. So between basically like. 12 and 18 teams every year throw the ball about over over 500 times a game in all of college football 133 teams or 130 teams whatever so it's kind of about the same as it was in 2009 2012 2016 and last year mm -hmm. which, I, which i find to be utterly fascinating that means that like again the same number of teams we, we may have more passes in general mm -hmm. but their teams are still running the ball at on average three times as often as our throwing the ball in college football, yeah, which I don't think people would think of. And so, no, I, is it because it's flat? Is it because what a lot of times now when you, is it because there's flashier like chunk plays in the air than there were? I, 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 I so this like, is like, so you remember them. So they stick out in your mind that way. I think, I think the thing that has changed is efficiency. That's what I think has changed. You get more out of those 500 pass plays today than you did in 2010. Let's say. Okay. Like, yeah. and that, and that's, that's your, that's your chunk plays. That's your efficiency, right? Like that's your big chunk yards per play yards per attempt is a big stat now, right? Like, mm -hmm. like success rate and all this, all the, all the analytics and stuff. And so the question is, is, is Mike Bobo, has he changed? Because like he was just at Auburn a couple of years ago and it clearly didn't work. Some of that's because he and Brian Harson don't have the same system. Like, does he have the same ideas and concepts, a little bit more of a pro style guy, he did very good things with Aaron Murray. Of course, that was the 2012 team. I, I'm just, I'm curious what his system looks like because Georgia has already made the evolution and it worked. And this does feel like going back a little bit. However, I think the revisionist history is that they were pretty good under Mike Bobo for at least the, th the last three years he was there. They were elite. So I, I, I this is, I'm so fascinated by this. <laughs> it's, but don't you just have to, I don't want to simplify this position because any any coaching position, honestly, division one or e and not even just division one is there's so many aspects of these jobs and it's they're really, really difficult. So I don't want to I don't want to diminish it, but I, I do. It really does raise the question of is it a lot easier to execute in a system that's already so stable but you're right i that's do true. think that they're probably but when they're doing so well now it's easier for fans to sit back and be like okay that's you know it's it's fine but when so when he was there it, how, it's more it's more palatable you're saying because yeah, they because they've won they two right titles. on the cusp of 
2012, 2012, they should have won. I mean, again, if yeah. they if they get five more yards in the SEC championship game in 2012, they win the national title. Right. So it's just there's an emotional connection to so close but not there. And, you know, you should not be pointing fingers really in that situation as a fan unless something is blatantly wrong. But it's just so hard because it was like with it was within your grasp right. and then you just didn't get to couldn't touch it. Now, well, there is one big caveat to all of this that we have not mentioned. And I, I just assume people know this. So maybe we shouldn't have avoided. They should have skipped. I shouldn't have skipped it this long into the conversation. Mike Bobo has never been the offensive coordinator for Kirby Smart. So we, I mean, all of those years right. that I, we rattled off, we're all under Mark Rick. So we've got to make sure that that is like part of this conversation is we know what Mike Bobo looks like at Georgia. We don't know what Mike Bobo looks like at Georgia under Kirby Smart. And in 2023 football, like has he evolved to, to the point where, because again, I think part of the reason that the Baltimore Ravens were able to wait as long as they did to hire a coordinator, even though it, because they have Lamar Jackson is because that's one of the most appealing jobs in, in the NFL right now. And the reason that they got to pick the best coordinator in their mind out of college, by the way, Todd Munkin's been in the NFL a bunch too. So he has experience. Like they picked the guy off the best program who is credited with, like we said, I mean, basically being the most influential coordinator, maybe in college football, the last two or three seasons. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a rock star taking a rock star job. It's, it's going to be hard to fill that gap. I mean, again, I think to your point, it's a lot easier to fill it with Georgia's roster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Georgia's coaching staff and Georgia's stability. But what is the offense true? I mean, they got a lot of pieces coming back. They do have a true quarterback battle in the spring. We think Carson Beck's the leader, but they've got a true battle. So like it's there's a little bit more upheaval now with Georgia and it makes it more interesting. I just I'm fascinated to see what <laughs> what plays but, out. Well, cuz even Todd Munkin before the title game was like joking like he was like, oh, remember we talked to we talked to Seth Emerson about this. He was like, yeah, right. he was like, yeah, uh, you know, Kirby came to me and asked me if I was okay with Mike Bobo coming onto the staff, and like he really wasn't asking, but he was like trying to pretend like he was asking to make me feel like I had some say in this because he he knows I might be threatened by bringing on a former offensive coordinator, and he mm -hmm. kind of joke. He was very irreverent and jokey and had a great time with it all, and of course then he leaves and Bobo gets the job. <laughs> So interesting. It's so juicy, man. And I like, are they going to run more RPO? Are they going to do more intermediate stuff? Are they going to take more splash shots down the field? Like, I don't, I don't think we know what Mike Bobo's offense looks like because we haven't seen it in 2023 football with this coaching staff, with this offensive collection of players before. Right. So. But we've, but we've seen, we've seen your, a very efficient offense before. Um, yep. And again, and again, in 2014, there were more teams running more plays than there are than there were last year. So just yeah, for, everyone, I mean, for, for everyone that's like, oh, that's backwards. It's 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 slow old football. Like, no, there was a lot of teams running a lot of plays in 2014. So. Yep, good point. All right, that's Thanks. a good place to end. I like it when when you say good point. That that means it's time to move on. Um, <laughs> all right, we'll get to Dave. We'll get to Dave Matter from the St. Louis Post Dispatch coming up in just a second. But but the Texas Oklahoma thing finalized 24 2024. We are going to have a new sport, Aaron. Like. I, just in general, are you excited or are you dreading the fact that we could just be looking at an entirely new product in and in, in, after one more football season? No, I'm not dreading it. And this is it's beneficial in a lot of ways. It's beneficial for the sport in general because it um, it keeps well, if it's done correctly. Hold on. I guess yeah, I don't want to yeah. jump the gun here because I know <laughs> that you're going to tell well, actually, you know what? Hold up. Go, Before go we do full, this, go full Keely Ringo and backpedal all the way. Yeah. Well, I'm going <laughs> to let you just say your piece so that I can play off of it. And you mentioned something earlier in the show about people in certain situation, if it goes a certain way, should lose oh, yeah, their yeah. job. Do you want to talk about that really quick? And then I'll tell you how I feel. Yeah. I might say something even worse. Um, okay. Yep. <clears throat> so, Texas and Oklahoma, welcome. 16 teams. Uh, I have spoken to people in the know about what the goals of the SEC office are in terms of the new alignment and scheduling. And we all know that two things are probably going to happen. One, there will be no divisions. And two, they'll probably go to nine conference games, in which case the three and six scheduling model that we have talked about on this show, if the SEC does not get rid of divisions and go to the three and six model, not only should people lose their jobs, but maybe they should be decapitated. I'm just saying... Murder, oh. murder is not off the table. He did that. I'm I'm okay with murder being on the table. 
He went there. Well, I mean, there's just... It's allegedly. almost allegedly, 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 God, we got to get our gear together. <laughs> the there's almost no reason to talk about it not being this three and six model because if it's not, I'm not gonna wish death upon people. <laughs> Maybe I overreacted. Maybe no, not you. You wouldn't. Um, but it's just not really worth talking about. We might as well have fun talking about all the games that should happen, and I don't see any situation or any reality where it plays out any differently than this. It makes complete sense. Here's why you should love it as a fan is that even with me, even with dancing through college when I like at Vanderbilt and we traveled a lot, I still never got to, uh, I never got to dance at LSU. I never got to dance at Arkansas. I, A&M was after me. So that doesn't count. Um, and I could like name a couple of other never dance in Mississippi State. So, like, so make sure you clarify it. it, it hit, this was pre expansion. This was before Texas A&M and Missouri got to, to the league. Yeah, 20, it was. Yes. Yes, okay. it was. So even. Pre, yeah, it, I didn't. There's a lot of schools I can name. And even in my four years and as people know how it works, never saw never played them there and didn't play some of them at all. Yeah. Um. So as a fan, there are so like with maybe a couple exceptions, and I'm not going to name names. There are these are some of the most you're missing out on some of the most fun electric SEC environments that exist on if we continue down the path that we're on now, which we're obviously not going to because the whole thing has to change. But you should be excited if you're hesitant about it. Don't be because you're going to get to go see and experience some really cool places. And if you're a team in the West, congratulations, your schedule is about to get easier. Uh, well, definitely for the teams at the bottom, potentially. At the bottom, at least. Yeah, no question about it. So Texas A&M, of course, joining the league in 2012. Um, here, here's the stat that, that I throw out to people and people still like their their eyes get weird and their mouth does funny things when I say this. The Georgia Bulldogs have never played the Texas A&M Aggies in College Station. It's never happened. Jeez. I mean, in, in the SEC. It's, right. never, it's never happened. They've been in the league for, <laughs> for, for 13, 12 years now. 12 seasons of football or 11 seasons it's of football. It's crazy. Never played. And, and what I think is in, in College Station. And so, like, if you're lining up all the reasons to go to this model, which, again, is three permanent crossover. Three, not crossover. I got to forget that word now. No divisions three permanent opponents that stay on your schedule every year, and then six that rotate. So you essentially get a, three permanents that you play every single year, and then you rotate a home-and-home home with the other 12 teams in the conference. So what, what that amounts to is you will get a home and a road game against every team in the league every four years, which means if you are a student at any school in the SEC, you're going to get at least one home game against all teams in the conference during your four-year window on campus. So if you line up all the reasons to do this, like this is what I don't understand. And this is why I think people should literally lose their jobs if this doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Because the other option is like an eight con eight conference games with like a one and seven. And then you still don't see the, these teams nearly as often as you should. Like what's best for fans? Maintaining rivalries and creating great matchups, Right. 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 You want you want to maintain rivalries and you want to create great matchups. Three and six does that because you're what if you're Texas or at, let's just use Alabama. Who are Alabama's two biggest rivals or three biggest rivals in the conference? Auburn, Tennessee. LSU, probably LSU and now Georgia, but LSU. And Georgia, so, but you're going to protect one of those. Or you can protect all three of them yeah. every year. So, like, tell me, tell me what the fans want. <laughs> do they want to play Alabama, Tennessee, and Alabama, Auburn every year, or do you want Alabama, Tennessee to go away every other year, or every two years, or every four years? So, like, this... protect the rivalries and create great matchups. That's easy. Number one, the fans are big winners with this model, no question. Yeah, and there's honestly, it's relatively even for teams as well because there's a pretty good mix, and I know that this all ebbs and flows based on the year or the decade of football, but as it stands right now, I mean, Alabama's got it pretty tough, but if it had been three years ago and Tennessee was one of their standing three with it being predicted to be Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU, then it would be fine. Honestly, Auburn's had some down years. Like Arkansas has Mizzou, 
or if it goes this way, Mizzou, probably Texas and Kentucky. Like yeah, it's easy to it, it's easy to predict Texas's three permanent teams. Yeah, and it's te- just te- Texas A&M, Oklahoma, Arkansas, done. There's seemingly one very strong team, one rivalry team whether that's already the strongest team in your three or not, and then one that definitely makes sense, but it's it's not stacked in one direction. So it shouldn't even it also shouldn't create any sort of like um, talent or like level misalignment, at least right now. But that's not totally true because there are a couple of teams that have it worse in terms of what that's going to, how that's yeah. going to affect their record than others. But overall, it's relatively even. You, you know who else benefits from protecting rivalries and creating killer matchups? Not just fans. You know who else benefits? The school. TV partners. Oh, yeah. Well, that goes without who, saying. Who holds the bag? Yeah, but they made it. This is they're calling all the shots. So ESPN, we know they're going to benefit. ESPN just helped pay a hundred million dollars to get Texas and Oklahoma in. What are they going to want? They're going to want better games. We'll get to what those better games could be in just a minute. Now, I think it does help. You you're, you make a great point about how cyclical it is. In the '90s, you know, Vanderbilt schedule would have been tougher than Ole Miss's schedule. But now, with Alabama the way it's been and LSU the way it's been, you know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State schedule. But here's what happens. Here's my question: Do you want them to be? like competitively balanced because every team's going to play a basically the same schedule over four years. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm okay. Now they are. I am okay with this model. They would play basically every team. Every team would play every team almost the same amount of times every four years. I am okay with putting the big dogs with the big dogs. Like I'm okay with Alabama and Oklahoma, for example, right. Being a permanent rival that plays every year. Number one, awesome. <laughs> just right. Hell yeah. Right. 50, 50 years from now, you're telling me they've played 50 years in a row. Can you imagine the the, the rivalry? So I, I'm I'm good with Vanderbilt getting a slightly easier three games or Kentucky getting a slightly easier three games because you're still going to have to play all the other good teams twice every four years anyway. Right. Like it would be not, different if that was not the case. Yeah. But but like let's take Kentucky for example. Let's say their three teams are like Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State. Let's hypothetically. Mm-hmm. So that means they miss Georgia, right? Every year they only have to yep. play. Them, they only have to play them every other year. So that makes their schedule a little bit easier. But then they're also having that. But then they also have to play Alabama twice, <laughs> right? Every yeah. four years too. So it's five. It is so logically for like TV partners, business, money, fans seeing as many different new games as possible. Like there's no reason not to do this. That's why I think someone should get fired if they don't. And I think we're going to get an announcement pretty from what I understand. It will be this model because it's the best thing for TV. And (laughs) I mean, it just, yeah, we just have all these, we have all these conversations all the time, but at the end of the day, we know who's calling the shots. So I think the, the ones that are like, we've, we've done this before. Like we don't need to go down the the long list of these, but I think that, you know, like the egg bowl is going to be protected. I think the Iron Bowl is going to be protected. For I think sure. Florida Georgia is going to get protected. I do think Alabama Tennessee will get protected because I totally agree. Because it's traditional, I you know, whatever. A&M um, LSU I would love nope. to see I would love to see that one. Uh but Texas is real easy. Texas and Texas A&M have to play every year. If you don't play Texas and Texas A&M every year and you're in charge of the schedules, that is a that is malpractice. <laughs> yeah, it means you're not good at your job. No, um, exactly, exactly. So, Oklahoma and then Oklahoma, Texas. Also underrated. You can explain this probably better, but I don't think people realize that there is there's or some people don't, at least like in my like age range, that there is a like some Texas, Arkansas history. Oh, tons of Texas, Arkansas history. But oh, a lot yeah, of people yeah. don't know that. Like if you talk to so like younger, like my I've mentioned this in front of some of my brother's friends the other day, and they're my brother's about five years younger than me. They're like, huh? Like yeah, it's the thing, guys. God, that means we're first of all, it means we're, we're all old. getting yeah, we're all getting old. Um, yeah. I. By the way, next week on the pod, uh, we'll have a giveaway. We got some, we got some cool swag. Hey. Yeah, about that. We'll sneak love that. To see it. Sneak that one in there. Um, I'm glancing at the number of times they've played, just because I want to get it correct. Um, Texas and Arkansas have played 76 times. So. That- <laughs> There's a lot of history. I know. A Missouri, lot of history. People just, yeah, it's just the young, the youngins. Missouri and Oklahoma have played 93 times. 
obviously they're going to have four of the former big 12 teams. So like there, there's lots of other overlap there. Um, the ones I can't wait for though, honestly, not, it's not only just the new ones. The new ones are awesome. Like Texas, Tennessee, Texas, you know, Oklahoma, Florida, who've played in a national championship game, played in some bowl games, you know, Alabama versus Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, LSU and Texas, you know, Oklahoma renewing the rivalry with AM, Oklahoma, Tennessee have played a few times. Like the new ones are cool with Texas and Oklahoma, but it's not just that. Imagine getting Tennessee LSU twice every four years. Yeah. Tennessee, how about Auburn and Florida? Yeah. Like Auburn and Florida never play. <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's, it's going to be, be great to have two Auburn Florida games every four years. That's awesome. Y'all are going to love going. <laughs> to you Auburn. have not to Auburn well, or not, <laughs> mm, I was I was kind of daydreaming about Baton Auburn. Rouge, but Auburn. You love Auburn. I I love the city of Auburn. I do. I do. Plus yep. plus plus the drama it creates for content creators. <laughs> I do like that. Um, all right. What are some other ones you're looking forward to? Give me give me the games. Like Alabama, Georgia is a great one. Alabama, Florida is gonna happen more often. You know, it's just like they're there's just um, it's it's endless. It's endless. Yeah, I mean I like there's I don't even I mean every all these combos are just you know I've, the maintenance of the rivalry games or maintaining those obviously is extremely important but just I mean like I said like getting Texas Arkansas back is great um just knowing so I'm trying to think too hold on I wrote a couple down like the go ahead well I was just gonna say even simple things like Tennessee Ole Miss. Yeah, they just, they just it's it's not a huge marquee giant top 10 matchup. Some most of the time it has been good in the last couple of years. But like like right. Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin versus the Vols every twice every four years. Yeah, that's that's a fun one. I was spoiled as like, you know, being at all the Vanderbilt games and being an alumni there. That was our crossover was Ole Miss. And so we always yeah. played them. But that's fun. I mean, you're yeah. And weird and weird shit always out. happen in that game. <laughs> always, weird always. Shit. I mean, Everything that wasn't supposed to happen happened in those games. So, so like Georgia's two of their three protected rivalries would probably be Auburn and Florida. If you don't protect those two, I don't understand. Like, th right. again, this is the whole point of your job, SEC. Right. But like, think about Georgia LSU. They don't play very often. I know. That's so Georgia Bama, Georgia A&M, Georgia. Like, you just keep going with this. And it's just a &M, the Georgia A&M. I'm looking forward to a lot. Yes. It's going to yeah. be awesome. It's going to be mm -hmm. so great. And so, again, I I know we're beating the, the dead scheduling horse here, but, but like the three and six model is so good. Mm -hmm. It's so much fun. You want every team to come through every other campus at least once every four years. And Absolutely. That, and that is what this model does. And, man, I'm, it's – I honestly, I can't I, – I'm and here's the other thing. I'm okay with the competitive balance being a little bit weighted towards – sort of the top like like the top teams play more of the top teams in their permanent schedule and the and the bottom teams play more of the bottom teams because a that gives the bottom teams a little bit better chance at a bowl game but it doesn't really remove your chance at a playoff spot now because we're expanding to 12 right so 10 and 2 get you in like it's it's working all around yes yes we love to see so it so much fun it's so much fun i can't wait i can't wait it's going to look super weird on like websites when you go to like the standings and like you pull it up and it's like one to 16 and one, oh and, two, one and, and one and two play in like the SEC championship game. That's going to be weird. But like basically, if you get into the top four in the SEC, you probably make the playoff. Yeah. Like, just think about how many games are going to be so meaningful in late October, early November that weren't all that like they were meaningful, but they weren't like playoff meaningful. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to matter later now. Kentucky, Tennessee could be like a oh, winner probably gets into the playoff. Loser goes home. That's freaking crazy. Isn't that wild? Yep. Ole Miss the show is Ole Miss, Tennessee a couple of years ago in the mustard game would have been like, a, well, if Ole Miss loses this, they're not going to make the playoffs. Like it's it's a whole different ball game, dude. It's and gonna be so, it's going to be so weird. It feels far away now, but that shit always sneaks up on us. So yeah, it, is. it is. So that's why we're talking about it now. On this show, and it's why you rate, review, subscribe to Fringe Element on a podcast and YouTube form. And we're gonna have YouTube. some gear. You're gonna have to subscribe to the YouTube page because next week we're gonna have some gear to give away, and it's gonna be visual. You have to look at it. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, real, real quickly here before we get to Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post Dispatch, I just want to point out uh, I, the one. First of all, the one of the only prop bets that I 
my favorite prop bet of the Super Bowl was a defensive special teams touchdown by the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, plus 750. Uh, Nick Bolton picks up the fumble, scores a touchdown as a Mizzou graduate playing for the Missouri football team in the NFL in the Super Bowl. He's from Frisco, Texas, which is right up there in the northeast part of Texas. And to just see a kid like that do that for his home state with his university and his and, and win a Super Bowl like that is that is what college and pro football fandom can do for people. So uh, I just that's our starting point to our State of the Union for the Missouri Tigers. Aaron and I will be back after the conversation to give you what we think is going on with this program. But before we do, here's our conversation with Dave Matter from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Dave, good to see you, man. How are you? Welcome to the show. Doing well. Thanks for having me, as always. Uh, just before we get into Mizzou football, Eli, the roster, all that good stuff, uh, is it a one-to-one crossover between Missouri Tigers fans and the Kansas City Chiefs fans? Like, are they is is like are, is there an exact overlap of the Venn diagram there? It it depends where you are. Obviously, yes, in Kansas City and probably anywhere west, Columbia and west of Columbia. A uh, lot of Chiefs fans here in the middle of the state. When you drift over to St. Louis, now there are some adopted Chiefs fans in St. Louis and on the east side of the state. There's still a lot of bitter folks in <laughs> St. Louis about how the NFL, right? Uh, how the Rams left, and they've just written off the the NFL as a whole. And there's even some folks that don't like the fact that Lamar Hunt was not exactly uh, uh, fighting hard for the Rams to stay in the state of Missouri, so they hold that against them. But I'd say it's a, a it's a pretty close correlation between Mizzou fans and Chiefs fans. I mean, you you see a lot of red around here in Columbia all the time, uh, and obviously when the Chiefs are good, like they are right now, you see a lot more. Yeah, there's no question. Um, so I want to get um, I've got a couple of different areas that I want you to grade Eli Drinkowitz on for us. Um, but just before we do any of that, just in general. What is the perception of the program? Are fans excited about the direction of the program? There are certainly plenty of reasons, which we'll get into, why fans yeah. could be excited. Um, they have been exactly 500 <laughs> every yeah. year uh, in the regular season. Just what is exactly the fans' perception of Eli Drinkwitz and the football program currently? Well, they get excited in the offseason because it's like fans of any program, like Hope Springs Eternal, you know, and he has recruited pretty well, both, um, you know, high school recruits and especially in the transfer portal. So that I think always drums up excitement. Uh, but I think once you get into the season and really the last two years, it's like, there's this sense of, okay, he's not fulfilling all the promise here. Why is this team still just kind of drifting in 500? It's like one step forward, one step back all the time. When is this thing going to really turn? Uh, if anything, I think maybe fans were a little disillusioned or spoiled when they went five and five in that COVID yeah. year, five and yeah. five in the SEC with some nice wins and thought, OK, this is going to be easy. And it turns out it's really not. Uh, so you're sitting there, like you said, you're 500 through three years, throw on two bowl losses. And he's actually two games under 500. Uh, not a great place to be in this league when everybody else seems to be getting better or making coaching changes to be better. Or And a lot of the schools that have made the coaching changes either at the same time as Missouri or more recently have, have had more success or, or a little bit ahead of schedule, like, like Tennessee, like South Carolina. And I think a, a lot of the fans are just kind of waiting patiently. Okay. When's this thing going to turn? Is it going to turn? I think they like Eli. They like his persona. Uh, they like all the stuff about him for the most part. It's just, okay, there's gotta be a little bit more substance to all this sizzle When's it gonna? When's it gonna really start to percolate? <laughs> well, which which brings us to to 2023 because it does look like they're poised to be maybe as good as they they've been under him. Yeah, uh, I I don't really care. Like personally, I don't really care about bowl losses or bowl wins. Yeah. Um. But again, he's never had a losing season in the regular season. Um. But never had a winning season in the regular season either. So right. it which I, so I want you to kind of work through the different parts of a head coach for me. And I'll start with the easiest one, and I don't need like a letter grade here. I just want to talk through sort of each little part of what your job is as a head coach and where he's done a great – like obviously, if I say recruiting, we're going to start with this guy's done a really excellent job. There's a lot of excitement, and it's probably his best asset right now, right? Yeah, I think some of his early success lost a little luster because the, the four stars that kind of headlined the class have 
never developed and or transferred. So you've kind of lost some of that star power, if you will, especially some of the local like St. Louis area kids, like a Dominic Lovett is a great example, a guy who who did thrive and became a first team all SEC receiver and then leaves for Georgia. So like, you know, that's great that they got him. That's great. They developed him. They didn't keep him. Uh, so I, I think some of that uh, takes away a little bit of, of the recruiting excitement, but he's done a really good job, I think, of addressing needs, especially with the portal. Like they lose somebody, they go out and find somebody. Um, you know, they, they've got some depth issues at on the, on the defensive line. They've gone out and get a tackle. They get a, a good transfer like they did last year. They got guys from, frankly, from better programs in Missouri, or at least were having better success, and they right. plugged them in and they became – really quality starters in the SEC. So I, I think he's done a, a good job of that, maintaining the roster, building it up, maybe in some areas more than others. Um, quarterback is a is kind of this the big, huge mystery, big, huge void kind of lingering over everything. That's supposed to be his, uh, you know, that's supposed to be a specialty, offense, quarterback position, and it just hasn't been great under him. And now you've got essentially three guys competing for the job. And I think so much is going to hinge on did he did he recruit the right guys? Is he developing the right guys? Is he picking the right guy to be the starter? And that it just seems like everything, all the good stuff that he's done elsewhere, hiring staff, which I think he's done a good job of, um, and addressing needs in the portal, it's all sort of going to hinge on this quarterback position still. Well, and and you kind of answered a bunch of those in there because I was yeah. going to say I was I was going to say like uh, you know development of those players uh is something that we've seen kind of mixed bag right i would yeah. say i think the again i think the portal and recruiting is probably his strongest asset which brings us to the offense and you kind of alluded to it um obviously brady cook has played a bunch of games but he's hurt and you, you now you have sam right. Horn in, in there who's the higher ta- high, what, what is it a, what this was supposed to be his thing what, what what is it that has been missing is it just quality of quarterback talent that is missing or is he not doing so? Like again, play calling or hiring hiring a coordinator or you know, like what what is it that's missing from the offense that for a guy that that's that was supposed to be his thing? Right, that's a great question. You know, Connor Bazelak's the SEC Freshman of the Year in, in that 2020 shortened year, and you think, okay, he's going to take off the next year, and he just never really did. And then he kind of got hurt, was playing through an injury, then he transfers to Indiana. It's like, gosh, okay, you expected a little bit more from this coach and this offense, and then Brady Cook wins the job. And was was fine. He got better at the end of the year. You know, his his numbers, he's not going to get all SEC votes or anything like that. I think he's maybe a little bit better than someone to give him credit for. But he definitely um, was limited in some things that he was doing. And, and the offense kind of hit a ceiling. There's just only so much that they could get done and really struggled at times. Um, so you wonder, is that is that system? Is it scheme? Is it just talent? He's got some talent around him for sure. I mean, the first two years – Drinkwitz, the head NFL running backs, and Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty, both all SEC guys. Um, Love it was great last year. You know, Luther Burden showed glimpses, and I think there's a really high expectation for him in 2023. Yep. But you got to figure out that, that quarterback position. So it just seems like everything comes down to that, and they have, just haven't quite figured out. And I think maybe that leads into, you know, this is the first time now Eli's going to have an offensive coordinator. Uh, he brings in uh, Kirby Moore from uh, Fresno. And we'll see just how much he puts on his plate, how much it's going to be sort of a shared job. Because Drinkwitz has always called plays until this past season. He gave them up for like three or four games to Bush Hamden. Uh, and the offense did change a little bit and it looked pretty good. But he leaves for Boise State. Now you hand things over to another coordinator. Drinkwitz seems relieved to kind of be to be free of that part of the job. <laughs> he's he's expressed like I've got to do so much more now than ever before. I've got to mess with NIL. Uh, You're recruiting your staff, your players, your your boosters all the time now. And I I just think it strikes me as somebody who doesn't want to stay up on a Wednesday night drawing up third down red zone plays. You know, like there's just so much more with the job to do now. He's got somebody else to do that. Maybe that will unlock this offense a little bit better. And whoever the quarterback ends up being, maybe it's just maybe it clicks better on the field. It, it does feel like on the positive side of things, you already mentioned uh, uh, Baker, the defensive coordinator. Like it does seem like he's done a pretty good job building a staff. I think getting yeah. more from Fresno, that's a really well-respected offensive system that they've been running there for years. So it, it feels like building the system, building the staff has been very, he's been very good at that. The defense was basically fixed almost overnight from yeah. one of the worst to one of the best in the conference. Um, what, but what about like in game 
because you already mentioned he gave up the play calling duties. They do seem to get up for big games. Like they played Georgia really well. Right. They played in some really big games, but there, there seems to be maybe a lack of consistency. How do you feel about his ability in game? Like, is he, do you feel like he's one of the better in game coaches in the SEC? Uh, it's just, it, like you said, kind of inconsistent. I really would have thought so in 2020, his first year, where they could, they could really adjust from week to week on what they want, what they looked like, what they wanted to do. I mean, they really slowed it down against Kentucky and played a ball possession game and one really physical game. Uh, when they played LSU, they were up-tempo and just throwing the ball all over the place and kind of wanted a shootout. They just seemed a lot more flexible that year. Um, last year, I thought it, it took them a while to figure out, hey, Brady Cook's a pretty uh, effective runner, and you call design stuff for him. It kind of frees up things in the passing game. They didn't have a dominant running back like they did the two years prior, and he he became their best running threat. Uh, and I, that's when they were at their best offensively, for sure. That was also coincided when Bush Hamden was calling plays. Uh, <laughs> then they get into a bowl game, and they kind of Hamden's gone, and Eli's back calling plays, and they kind of looked like the offense from before. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think inconsistent is is one way to put it. Um, he definitely has a style of offense. A lot of short passes, a lot of horizontal stuff to try to set up the deep stuff. Uh, and, you know, you, you just never really were consistent with with the big plays, the big explosive plays that, you know, he he seemingly brought to Missouri that we just right. haven't quite seen enough of. Is this roster now? That's 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 all we need to talk about with Eli, <laughs> I guess. I just yeah. I just wanted to get get sort of all the different parts of the job and your your opinions on those. But if you look at this roster, it does feel like this is a pretty critical year. I, I you know, hot seat seems like a silly thing to say for a coach who's who's been to a bowl game three straight years, dealt with COVID, great at recruiting, learning some of his mistakes, right? Like calling, get bringing in a play caller, um, yeah. fixing fixing the defense. Like to me, from the outside. I understand fans want success and they want to compete for championships, but it feels like if this team is good enough to win eight games this year or nine games this year, nine for sure. I, I mean, is, is six and six a fireable offense or is this a team that, that should be in that eight win? Ca- ca- uh, I, I think if, if this is another six and six type season, I think Desiree Reed Francois is a big decision to make because she, she just gave him, I should say the university gave him the board of curators is, is who, makes a lot of big decisions at Missouri. And they, this was definitely a curator driven extension that they gave Drinkwitz. They gave him a 50% pay increase from four to $6 million and added two years to his deal. Now at the time, and this happened mid season. So it was kind of weird timing. It seemed, Oh my God, a 50% pay raise to 6 million. Well now after all the, all the new extensions and everybody else, got, <laughs> he's back down to, I think 12th or 13th in the league in salary. Right. Uh, so it's all relative. But I think that actually adds some pressure and adds expectations to him. Like, okay, we've given you these resources. You have what you want. We went out. They they enhanced his staff a salary pool, and that allowed him to go get an offensive coordinator. Gave a big raise to uh, Blake Baker to make sure he stays because he was going to be a hot name this offseason for sure after the job he did. And now I think the sense is okay. It's time to turn the corner. And I think eight wins would definitely be that. That would be progress, no doubt. You're six and six. You're still kind of just spinning your wheels, and you start to wonder, like, is this better than what you had under Barry Odom, who was a 500 coach for four years? Right. Um, and in this in this league, you know, if you're just staying the same, that means you're getting worse uh, because nobody, everybody else is trying to get better. And we've seen, like you said, those, some of those other programs are ahead of schedule already. Missouri has beaten South Carolina every year under Drinkwitz, but it's hard to say that their programs are on par right now because South Carolina's done more big things and 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 I still, I, still I still don't know how uh <laughs> i don't know how either i don't know how either because when i see them in person i'm like this program is just not it's not there yet but then it's they all, go beat clemson and then they go beat tennessee and then they it, end the season with momentum it's all it's all special teams is it's, yeah, just, they're it's playing like, it's beamer ball and uh sunglasses and, and tiktok um <laughs> i so out of curiosity um if uh, when oklahoma and texas join of course the news they're going to be joining in 2024 there's the playoff right. expanded big Ten's going to expand it's all sort of falling into place for 2024 um I, I think it would be just an absolutely moronic move for the sec not to get rid of divisions and go to the three and six model if they do that which again i think they should um missouri and oklahoma have played 93 times it feels pretty right. ra- they've talked a lot about openly about kind of maintaining rivalries and stuff is yeah. Oklahoma, Kentucky, and South Carolina? Like, who who do the fans want as the three permanent teams that they would play each year, potentially? Well, 
I mean, I, Missouri has played Arkansas every year for the last 10, I think. So that would make sense to keep that going. Um, you know, there might be a stronger case for Arkansas to be back with Texas and Texas A&M since they have a lot of more shared history. But I think if you want to keep something going that you're trying to, been, trying to build over the last decade, you keep them together. Missouri and Oklahoma just makes too much sense. I mean, yes, a lot of that shared history is all all Oklahoma. They dominated the series for a really long time. Uh, but there is some familiarity there. I, I think it would be nice for Missouri fans to have an away game that they can actually drive to. I mean, you know, Missouri travels, their fans want to travel, but it's hard when you got to go to South Carolina every other year and Florida every other year. It's like, you know, when you're, when you're talking about changing time zones constantly for teams in your own right. division, uh, that's just college football, college sports in 2023, I guess. But yeah, I, I think you start with Oklahoma and Arkansas and then whoever else, you know, I'm, I'm sure every, every team in the league probably wants Vanderbilt as their, as their third team. Um, Missouri probably wouldn't argue with that, but you'd be fine with Kentucky or if it's South Carolina um, just to have, that's one thing 11 years now in the league and Missouri still just doesn't feel like they have true rivals. And yeah. that's, that's the price you pay for leaving the Big 12. I get that. Nobody should feel sorry for them, but it's it's just hard when everyone else has these the multiple rivalry games and Missouri has this artificial one with Arkansas and that's about it. So you uh, can is Arkansas, Kentucky and Oklahoma the three closest campuses or is Nashville closer? I'm trying to think. Um, uh, I guess I guess we could look at a map, but Yeah, uh, you know, probably, it's probably Nashville. Nashville um Old Miss is not that far. Um, oh, I'm, I'm just thinking about which ones I, I drive to when I, instead of flying <laughs> through. some of that's just because there's not a close, uh, airport near some of those college towns, but yeah, they're all, they're all similar there. Yeah. Well, it, it should be really, really interesting. Um, I, I don't look, I have no, I have no idea where college football is headed. I think Missouri is in a fascinating position. Um, I do think in 20 years we could be talking about, you know, teams like Missouri, you know, again, I don't want to be a doomsday here, dooms, doomsday, but in 2037, when this whole thing blows up again and we have another round of realignment, I am curious if some of the SEC teams, Vanderbilt namely, but also maybe Missouri or somebody else, if they're as safe as people think. So I don't I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's I think a lot's going to depend on just how they maneuver through all of NIL and everything that's going on right now. They do have pretty good resources there. They're figuring out how to you know, turn that into a positive, uh, when you're the only FBS school in the state, you know, that, that should give you an advantage. Um, there is competition in St. Louis and Kansas city with the schools in the States nearby. Uh, but I, I th- you got to figure this out. I do think they have pretty good leadership in terms of, uh, their athletic director, you know, the, the chancellor, they, there does seem that they do seem to have this magical alignment. Maybe it's not perfect all the time, but I do think they they're it's a modern way of looking at things, and they're very innovative and aggressive in how they can do that. You just got to convince the fans that this is part of the game now in 2023 that you got to invest. Uh, otherwise, you're you're just going to be trailing behind everybody else. I, I sorry to keep you so long, but uh, Vanderbilt's NIL collective just got off the ground like three months ago. We know that the the the, the story with Florida. Tennessee and AMs were up and running like two years ago. Where, where yeah. is Missouri relative to the rest of the conference? So Missouri of- started one right away, but it was it was a for-profit, and they really went after kind of big-time donors right away, and they were doing a lot of things behind the scenes very quietly, getting some things done, but not with much publicity. Well, they've since sort of rebranded it, and now it is a non-profit. Uh, so there is that tax incentive for donors that they can write things off if they donate to it, which they think will really help. And now they've gone to more of the modern kind of subscription model where, Hey, if I can only give a hundred bucks a month, that's all I can give, but I'm still contributing. So that way they can reach more of the average Joe and not just the, you know, the millionaire donor. So they're, they're making progress there. Um, Missouri's law, they've got a, they're very fortunate. They have one of the most kind of relaxed NIL laws there are in the, in the, in the country that the coaches can have direct involvement and engagement with the collectives that the CEO of the collective has a meeting every week, two meetings every week with the athletic director. Uh, they can't like legally sit down and say, Hey, give this player this much, but they can do everything but uh, <laughs> that. So I, I think it's a, they're in a good place. They, now they just have to continue to convince more fans that this is legal. I think that's the thing they run into. There's a lot of people with money and even just average fans are, they still think all this stuff is, is dirty and they, they got to convince them like, no, you can do this now. You can be a part of this. 
No, you're just paying for projection instead of production. You know, the, the, right, the, the thousand dollar right. handshake now happens before the game instead of after. Yes. Um, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time, Dave. Thanks. My pleasure. Anytime. That was Dave Matter of the St. Louis Post Dispatch, and uh, yeah, he, he you know listen, he agrees. Arkansas and uh, and Oklahoma probably the two permanents. Maybe Vanderbilt could be a third one. Nashville and, and uh, Columbia, Missouri, not super far away, but also like five not, hours. But nothing else is close to Columbia, Missouri. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. As I said, they walk, talk, and act like a Big Ten school, but they they're not leaving anytime soon. Um, so I find this I find this team to be utterly fascinating, Aaron. I don't we're kind of going to look at every team in the conference and do sort of the state of the union spring state of the union for every team uh, uh, all throughout the course of the offseason. And I am I'm like Eli Drinkowitz, as we just talked about, like there's a lot of good there. There's a lot of right. good on the resume. His teams have been up for games. He's recruited well. He brings sort of like a, an energy and a, and a and like a swag to the position that I think Missouri has been lacking. Um, he's developed some guys, he's hired really good coordinators, but he also hasn't had a winning season yet. So I I'm just, and the quarterback hasn't developed because he's the offensive guru. I just think it's, I think Missouri is fascinating this year. I think it's, it's really hard to know. Teams obviously get impatient quickly. And when you are in a position more like a Missouri or a Vanderbilt or a team that isn't used to being dominant um, in a particular division or necessarily at all, then you have a little bit more leeway to figure things out. But I will say what I was trying to do when I knew we were going to talk about this, I went back and looked at, um, because we use Mark Stoops as a gauge for a lot of things in terms of longevity and the ability to build a program and how and how long. And so what this is Eli just did his fourth year or this is this is his fourth season yeah okay so Mark Stoops had so got there in 2013 went two and ten five and seven five and seven seven and six seven and six was around that was above 500 but barely and it was year six he jumped to ten and three and there was a little bit of reverb in there like 2020 but like we'll throw that out um so I'm not came, saying that came, it's going to play out that way. Came right Go back ahead. with 10 more wins the ne- the, the following right. year. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. And, and they're all different. So you can't just, I mean, I don't know. I'm not necessarily comparing apples to apples, but it does just because you haven't had success in the first three or four seasons doesn't mean it's not coming, but you do have to, I, I do feel like it was easier the incline was a little bit easier to see even in those seven and six, seven and six seasons for Kentucky, like 2016, 2017. Right. Cause I think, I believe they were on the cusp of it being like more like an eight and five situation and some things fell the wrong way. If I'm remembering correctly. Um, so that was just kind of, I just thought that was interesting. Cause you know, we see that happen a lot, but you've got to know it's heading in the right direction. I, I, I think I, I think everybody understands the pressure dynamics at Missouri are different than Auburn and Alabama. Like, I think we all get that. And I think I agree with you. I think it's a smart, a smart play to, to comp everything to Mark Stoops at a program like Missouri. How about, how about this? And I was, I was looking this up this morning, the number of times, cause I mentioned eight or nine wins in the interview with Dave. I just sort of like floated it out there. They get to eight wins that would have to be considered a step in the right direction, which obviously it would be. For sure. And again, they return. They are ninth overall in the nation, according to Bill Connolly. Now, he's a big Mizzou homer, so who knows if these are accurate. You know, you never can trust those nerds. (laughs) 80% of the whole roster. Uh, Ninth nationally in returning production. Number one in the SEC, 78% returning production, 77% on offense, 80% on defense. And they are... Like you said, a lot of returning starters. Brady Cook is injured in the spring. Sam Horn is the freshman quarterback who they think I think they want to win the job because he's just if he's so good that it's obvious. But here's the thing. This program has had seven nine win seasons or better in a hundred years. Seven times. <laughs> Six ten win seasons. Six ten win seasons all time in the history of the program. Now, two of them have come in the SEC when Gary Pinkle won the East. And I think those two seasons in 13 and 14 
have like masked the reality of the program, which is that again, since how about this? Since 1970, since the integration of the SEC and and all of college football, Missouri has had five seasons of ten wins or more, five times. That's what fifty years. That's once every ten years they get to ten wins. I I just think that's perspective that's important and context that's important. Yeah, it is. But I think I would venture to say that a lot of times those coaches that you see like teetering on that line, yes, it has could have to do with them. But I would, you know. Is Missouri not relatively behind on certain resources, facilities? I, I think, yeah, I mean, their recruiting, I don't base, know. their recruiting base is interesting. It's not nearly as good as the rest of the SEC, but they are right. the only, like, they're the only FBS school in the state. They have a couple of nice recruiting territories with St. Louis and 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 Kansas City um, in terms of, like, metro areas that produce a little bit more talent than you would think. But it's not the same as, like, Louisiana or Texas or Georgia or South Carolina or Florida. It's not, it's not close. Now, as Dave talked about, they're very good in the NI they've gotten off the ground with the NIL stuff pretty quickly. And they're starting to figure that out pretty, pretty well. Cause again, recruiting ain't been the problem for Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah. It's sort of like inconsistency and quarterback and lack of development. Yeah. So it's almost like if they just find their guy under Mm -hmm. center, this could be a pretty interesting team in 2023. I agree. And eight, eight wins. Again, we just outlined, like if they get to nine wins, they will have done something that's only happened seven times in history and only five times since the freaking sixties. Yeah. So I think, I think that's. And how much more fun it would be if, if Missouri was a real contender year to year, like this, if it just, it would just raise the interest level of everything so much. Like, you know, you see Missouri on the schedule right now and you're like, eh, Okay. See, I I think that's true. They are they do feel like lost a little bit. I hate, sh- in, but in I don't shuffle. I don't mean that in a bad way. I really and it's I guess it can't really sound like a compliment when I say it. No, like it's that. Sa- it sounded very insulting. <laughs> yeah, but it, there's just it hasn't been. It's coming <laughs> in <for> late. <laughs> it's coming in late to a conference that's already very well developed. It's not the other team that came in with you was a dominant, huge. Uh, spends million trillions of dollars Texas school with the best recruiting base in the whole country. But they, but um, so they, but they were not that though before they got to the SEC. They, they, but they their, still are in Texas. No, I know. I mean, I know they weren't spending spending seventy million dollars at the drop of a hat before that. But they also are still yeah. in Texas. So there is still excitement around football in Texas in a way that no, there's yeah. not in Missouri. No, no, there's no question about that. Yeah. yeah, I mean the Chiefs are the biggest. The Chiefs and the Rams were bigger draws than 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 in Columbia. But uh, I think I think Gary Pinkle is just a, a phenomenal coach and did a phenomenal job. They were the better program when they came into the big tw- into the SEC from the Big Twelve than A and M was. But A and M realized now that we've got SEC clout, we can spend like an SEC program, and they have turned into a an SEC big boy. Whereas Missouri just doesn't necessarily have the same type of resources, but it doesn't make them any less. Like, I think they're part of the reason I wanted to start this conversation in the spring with Missouri is that I think they are, they are way more interesting than the amount of coverage that they get. I agree that I absolutely agree with that. I do. So, and lots of great journalists have graduated from the Missouri journalism schools. So you guys need to do better job out there. Uh, No, I, I listen. Thanks today for for hanging out with us. I, I think, I think, if, if Missouri's at eight wins, I wouldn't be surprised. It's a salty team, man. It's an interesting, salty team. And now's the time to pounce if you're Eli before the schedule changes and you have Oklahoma on your schedule every year. And then you have to play like Alabama every two years and Georgia every two years and LSU every two years. Like right now, Missouri rarely has to play Alabama, LSU, Auburn, A&M. Right. Rarely, rarely have to play them. So they, um, they get Arkansas. <laughs> so yeah, you definitely want this is the time to strike is now. You're not wrong about that. Exactly. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a fun me year. Me too. I can't wait. Oh. It's only February, but it's going to be here before we know it. So we're going to continue to do State of the Unions throughout the offseason. And we've been, let's just say it here so we hold ourselves to it. We've been talking about getting some more fun musical guests, and I have a couple of good ideas. So. Ooh, okay. Let's hold me to that. i got to put my money where my but mouth you're not is gonna, on but you're not. But you're not going to put the names out there, are you? 
You don't want to um, jinx it. You don't want to jinx it. That's okay. No. Don't, don't do it. Don't do that. I'm with you though. We'll have some more. Uh, I've been working on a few few other interesting angles that are outside of football that are diehard SEC football fans though. Which is this? Yeah. What, this is what the show is all about. It brings people together, man. That's what we do here. Yeah. We do here. Um, we could we we do appreciate your support, listening, of course, uh, watching on on the YouTube, and of course, all over the social platforms. You can follow her at Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram. You can get to me at four forty media on Instagram. Uh, at at Braden Gall on Twitter, at 440 Sports at Twitter, and then the YouTube page as well. Uh, all college football all the time. Um, so just go check it out, man. Uh, all SEC. We appreciate it. Uh, otherwise, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. We'll talk to you next week. For Aaron, I'm Braden. This has been Fringe Element here on the 440 Sports Network. Later.